What am I supposed to say? Hi, <laughs> I'm a professional overthinker and that's about it. I'm professional overthinker too. I think that's a much better position, <laughs> which is actually fun. I'm going to write that down. I have a list. Oh God. Oh no. Where's yeah, my list? Grill you. Where is your list? Come on. Okay, I have my okay, list. So, so this is what's going to happen is I'm not going to say like, okay, and start. We're going to just kind of stumble into our podcast. Is that okay with you? Oh, I'd love that. Yeah. Okay, we'll do that. I would love that. So I think that the best thing is that we just talk kind of about nothing and then probably knowing us, we'll get into something. Yeah. Um, Sounds good. I found that when I first entered, I think it was either you or Clifton came to get me. And it was Clifton. At first I was he's, like, he's my secretary. I'm, uh, right, your secretary. Um, I was going to be like, you know, yes, that's me. Just be very professional and walk in. But right off the bat, I started to make conversation and I was all just giggly about it. And see, it happens when I am excited about what I'm doing, yeah. you know, as obviously. Um, so I think the best way for me to proceed in life is to constantly surround myself with things that allow me to be genuine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and perhaps that's why I, I pursued art because it excites me. You know, when I'm in the moment, when I'm acting or when I'm watching a really good film or I'm talking to someone about the film that I watched, I can't help but be myself. And in mm -hmm. that moment, I, I surprise myself sometimes. I'm like, wow, I didn't know I could be this deep I, di I didn't know that I could be this, you know, insightful. It was truly just because I was letting myself be that. You know, mm. before starting this interview, I was thinking about, you know, okay, just, just be confident, just be confident. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, well, this is, this is an interview, so I'm going to be obviously a little held back. But when we have conversations, you know, this interview is not that different from when we talk. I am so um, un you know, I'm so myself that I, I surprised myself. I'm like, wow, I think I agree with what I just said there. I'm not like, <laughs> you know, in my head, I'm not just like, maybe I shouldn't have said it that way. Yeah. Right. And so confidence is being yourself. Confidence yeah. is just, you know, whatever it is that you have to say, just say it. Yeah. You're, you might be wrong. Yeah. Um, but all of us have, um, you know, personal experiences that aren't wrong. So we're mm -hmm. all coming from some sort of wisdom, some sort of experience that's um, informing the way that we talk but do you find that your confidence is dependent on the person you're talking to or the circumstances you're in like like because I, I guess on some level it you know your level of comfort is dependent on if you're talking to a close friend or a stranger mm -hmm. but is there Absolutely. a way that you can get yeah. to confidence despite who you're talking to I think that's something that I'm still working on especially because of the t the type of person I am who is uh, you know, afraid of what people might think of her. Yeah. Um, I, if, if I'm not around the right company, if I don't feel as though what I'm saying is resonating or that it's being accepted, it, it can be disagreed with. That's not a problem. I'm completely myself with my parents and they, half the time they think I'm not <laughs> saying the right things. But I'm, I'm unapologetic about what I'm saying. Um, it's simply because I know that no matter what I say, I'm being respected or I'm being accepted as me. That's it, right? Mm. Um, so that very much does depend on the type of company that um, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're dealing with. But I think uh, the end of the journey should be for me um, and for, ev for anybody is coming to a point where it's not the other person's response that's driving you. 
Yeah. It's your, your inner peace, your inner excitement. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and what was it, um, I think I've asked you this question before, but what was it about, about us as naive first years slash the audition slides that we gave you slash what you knew about the, the film that excited you to that level about, about coming in for that audition? So first off, I didn't know you were a first year. <laughs> I came in when just the way that you hold yourself, I was like, yeah, he's like maybe 23, 24. <laughs> no idea that you were a first year. <laughs> I'll take that as uh, so a compliment. It is a compliment. It, you carry yourself very confidently, I think. I don't I know. I think you're just telling me I'm nervous. old, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> not old, not old. Um, also, there's nothing wrong with being old. That just means you're more confident and wise, hopefully. <laughs> I think that entire experience, um, there wasn't much that I knew about the script. I didn't even know who you guys were. Um, so I didn't come in with any sort of expectations other than the fact that, wow, I'm going to be auditioning for my first on-screen role, you know? And that in itself has always been a dream of mine, something I've held on to, but I never did. And me stumbling across, you know, your casting call, that was just out of, I wasn't looking for anything. I saw it spontaneously I had the courage to be like okay why not there's nothing to lose um, and I went in with so much excitement that I was like even if I don't get a role I think you had something in the um, in your description that was that you know you could you're also looking for crew members and I'm like you know what it's fine maybe I can just find a way to learn from this experience mm-hmm. and at the end of it all because of course my mind goes to the worst possible scenario which is that I'm not gonna get anything it's that, wow, I've allowed myself to finally go audition for something. You know, I should have, I, if, since I knew this was something I wanted to do, why didn't I start five years ago? Mm-hmm. I didn't because I think, um, once again, another trait of mine, um, which I'm sure many people can uh, relate to, is that I'm a perfectionist in both the good and bad sense, in which I always thought that I have to get to a point of excellence and then I can go ahead and try to pursue what I want to do, mm-hmm. right? And you're never going to get there, yeah. you know, and I've had setbacks. Um, and I've been still having setbacks, but it was that, you know, moment of courage that, you know what, just screw it, just apply, see, see if it works or not. Um, so when I went into the audition, I think this was, it was like one of the first, um, it, it, I went in with, without expectations. And I think that's what made the experience enjoyable and probably played to me finally getting the role. So, mm-hmm. well, I was going to say <laughs> when you left, um, yeah. You know, we did we did the kind of the niceties of okay, thank you very much. You know, that was great. Uh, we'll we'll let you know <laughs> by email in a week. Handshake, handshake. Yeah. And then you left. Clifton like checked to make sure you'd cleared the side of the the building, and yeah. then we literally started jumping up and dancing, saying we found the one, <laughs> because we we knew like because that was our we auditioned you on day four of our four day audition process, and we hadn't found the right person. And so you were like, you were our savior. So oh like, my God. Yeah. I don't know what to say. <laughs> but also that fourth day, I, I, I was the one who booked it. I was like the last possible time I can go in. Yeah. That's the type of person I am. Yeah. Which is not great. I just, I'm, I'm trying to learn to just go for it. Yeah. But wow, thank you. And once, once we had, once we got to, um, to the table read where you got to meet the the rest of the cast and everyone got to meet each other each other for the first time and we read the yeah. script and i think it went pretty well i think it went pretty well sure all it i was, remember is excitement <laughs> like the first 10 minutes everyone was kind of on edge 
and then I think I think it was like on page ten, and then we were we were into it, and I remember finishing that. The best part of it, and this to me is this is how I'm gonna make this relevant to the podcast and and tie it in was, was that people started one by one. I think I asked, is there any way that each of you actually relate to the screenplay? You know, is there some part about um, the experience of your character, or the themes that we're dealing with about how we heal with pain and moving from avoidance to confrontation of difficult things that you can relate to. And I remember one by one, people started to open up. And so I guess I'm wondering at what point you felt like you, like there was a, some piece of you in the, in the story or in this team, um, or if, or which of the themes resonated with you most? Um, because I think, I think like we, like we've said, some of those themes have we've been I mean we were talking the other day on one of our our calls about about the film about how the experience we're going through now in many ways is going to kind of come back and feed into the way that we're able to produce this film yeah um so coming in I knew that this you know it was a story on mental health automatically there I had a connection uh because I myself you know struggled with poor mental health in the past um but what resonated with me even more is that, you know, your script is a unique take on mental health, yet at the same time, it is extremely universal and very relevant, I believe, to any person. Um, it deals with feeling as though you're not the victim, yet suffering, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, to put it generally, even if someone hasn't experienced, um, you know, mental health issues before, I believe that at least anybody in, you know, living in, living with some sort of privilege um, has felt the guilt connected to being in that privilege, you know, Uh, knowing that there are people suffering and and that in a sense, you know, perhaps you you aren't, um, you don't deserve the the comfort or uh you know once again just generally the privilege that you have um and i think that was one of the after our talk during our our, um our first read through that was the point where i'm like wow this is such an this is such a good script that i was able to connect with it in that sense and i know that i can find a way to get the audience to connect with that Mm -hmm. so that was i think the first moment that i uh, i connected with the script and um coming to you know our time right now with the pandemic it really does feed into into the um the story that we're trying to tell i so i would say when i first you know I, when i joined you guys on this journey um i was in a really good place in my life uh, just you know got a script i was in a play was doing good in school was gonna go to europe for the first time this summer um so there was just abundant abundance of things that was just like keeping me really positive Mm -hmm. um which isn't to say that it was going to deter me away from understanding what the character was feeling but when we started going through a pandemic and I you know all of a sudden my five-year plan that I made for myself none of it holds anymore Mm. um I'm in a point of you know feeling starting to feel you know uh hopeless starting to feel lonely of course, this is something that's universal. I feel like everybody's feeling. Um, our situation is so conducive to those two, uh, two feelings, which I would also say are probably the catalysts to mental health, to depression, loneliness, and hopelessness. Um, that 
this pandemic has perhaps been, you know, and is going to be one of the forces that drives us to tell this story and allows us to connect with these characters at a very, very real um, level. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so... The, so so the, the ideas you're talking about, about I, I agree with you. I think hopelessness and loneliness might be... I mean, I, there's so much that we're going through, but it seems mm-hmm. to me like specifically those two things encapsulate the experience quite well. Because, yeah. like you say, I think the hopelessness comes from the fact that there's there's all these any sense of order that we've had that we've set up mm-hmm. for ourselves like you say with your five-year plan mm-hmm. suddenly becomes very precarious and and right. some of it just straight up flies out the window you know mm-hmm. um a film is canceled a play stops mm-hmm. classes go online what is what is your next year look like mm-hmm. especially for someone who's nearing graduation right and so i'm just thinking you've got that that sense of like a very uncertain future Plus, you've got this isolation where you don't even have as easy access to a a system to support you through that hopelessness. So it seems like those two issues kind of bounce back and forth and make the the other one worse. Mm -hmm. I guess my question is, how the hell do you deal with that? So I think as someone who is about to graduate, um, you know, a student's life can't get any more precarious. You know, all of a sudden I'm thinking about my career, especially with the things that I'm studying, um, the, the possibilities are endless and also I'm, I am an indecisive person so I think I always carry a level of in, uh, precariousness with me mm. um, and I think this pandemic it's just a reminder that the only certainty that any of us have in life is that life is uncertain yeah. right so I think the way that I've been dealing with it has been um, going through a lot of highs and lows and uh, once again, it may be a blessing in disguise that the pandemic is allowing me to really think deep. And I'm hoping that I come out with enough that can, um, not even enough, that I can come out with something and say, you know what, these moments in my life weren't wasted. Uh, and so I've been looking into um, a lot of different literature. And I remember that um, in my third year, in one of my classes, which was basically based on the politics around climate change. I read a book by uh, Jo, I believe her name's Joanna Zelinska. And uh, she talks about what do we need to get out of, you know, to, to, to deal with climate change? What, what, is, what is it that we need? And she talks about embracing relationality. And what that is, is that uh, basically we need to rethink our entire existence um, as clusters of relations based on matter and energy. It's a very social science meets science way of thinking. Um, But when we accept or acknowledge relationality, we inevitably embrace precarity because Mm. what our life is, what our existence is, is just a bunch of clusters of temporary stabilized relations. Mm. So you know, we, we are so conditioned to believe that, or we're conditioned to want security, we're conditioned to want stability. However, security, stability, certainty, all of it is an illusion, right? Uh, our institutions, like for example, even marriage. Marriage is, why, why can't we just live in with somebody and, and live life that way? Marriage allows us to feel as though we have something that 
will last forever or something that you know we know that because of this contract um this person won't leave me at least not easily um but at the end of the day i mean once again not to sound cynical but if if nothing else one person can die and just like that everything all that security that we were craving and hoped for is is broken Mm-hmm. So it's it's very scary because we've been conditioned and we as human beings I think routine habit meditation prayer all of it provides us a sense of peace and calm which is what we strive for and what we want there's nothing wrong with it but at the same time we need to acknowledge that even though we are calm and in moments we can feel peace at peace that peace doesn't necessarily have to be forever and probably mm. won't be because nothing is certain Mm-hmm. Um so I think that is a a mindset that I've been trying to I guess come to terms with and really thinking mm-hmm. about. And um you know it's it's very scary because that is basically saying that the world is chaos and there's no way for me to control it. Yeah. Um but perhaps that even just acknowledging that perspective can help me um be stronger when things get bad cuz yeah. things is are going to get bad always you know if nothing else mm-hmm. um since we feel connected to people we might lose someone that we love and how do we prepare for that um mm-hmm. and because i'm so privileged and i think i've lived a life of immense comfort maybe that's why i want to be an actor because i i would like to feel more than my mundane life um that, mm. it doesn't mean you know i shouldn't be prepared for the worst or even if not worse take something out of this entire experience that i'm dealing with right now mhm and so if if we're if the default state of us is one of chaos is it yeah. is the idea that it's important not to try and kid ourselves into thinking we can change that into a state of stability but rather to just accept that and then constantly search for stability or, or i guess like like is is it necessary to try and fight the uncertainty i think I mean I'm I'm still young and I don't know much at all. No, um, you're pretty old. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> thank you, guy. Thank you. Well, you look 23. <laughs> Anyways. Oh god, we're n- old is not a bad thing. <laughs> Once again. <laughs> Disclaimer. Yeah. Right. I mean sometimes I mean I think my I've I've always been afraid of getting older and you know I also think about that like okay, well, you know what? What is really bad about being old? I'm going to be wiser, I'm going to be more mature. And everything that everything that I'm trying to do right now is ex- that is what I want. Yeah. So what is it? Is it wrinkles? Wrinkles? Why are wrinkles <laughs> a bad thing? I mean, why? Yeah. Whoever said that wrinkles was maybe wrinkles is beauty and having like a plump face is alien like. Who knows? Yeah. Right. I <laughs> hate baby face people. So no detail. No. <laughs> That's texture. why he keeps the beard. That's why he keeps the beard. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh boy! Right. Your question on stability. Um, yeah. No matter what, I think we're always going to fight against our want of stability mm. or security, right? Um when we because when we feel something good, whether that be love, whether that be success, it's a feeling we want to hold on to. And I don't think anybody would ever want to be stable or secure and never feel good. Be like, "Okay, I'll do this job even though I feel absolutely nothing when I do it because it gives me security." Of course, I'm still young. I don't have a family. I'm financially fine. So perhaps that is what some people want because at the end of the day, what for for them, 
actually no not even not even then you know when our parents want a secure job perhaps if it even if it doesn't provide them happiness their happiness is knowing that their children's lives are secure so we're looking for good feelings um mm. and we're never going to stop wanting to have that good feeling stay with us mm-hmm. unfortunately i don't it 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 isn't certain and obviously it isn't that we're always going to be happy mm-hmm. um coming back to what neelam kumar said about the fact that life was always going to have happiness sadness struggle um and that's not the point of it all it's about yeah. trying to reach that um you know point of joy through the struggle i just had a conversation yesterday with someone about mm-hmm. and i know when we were talking about preparing for this podcast one of the things we were talking about is the idea of truth and belief and we touched on that in terms of religion and i yeah. i'd for the last week i've been having conversations with people as i try and figure out my own perspective on that and each time i approached it with the idea that my highest value is truth mm-hmm. and and that's what that's what you aspire to and i was convinced that every time that you try and go around a different angle like even if you you know if you if you take the idea like maybe belief or maybe perspective is my highest value or maybe respect is i think you tend to kind of come back to truth anyways but i think actually truth provides you stability once again that's and and right? that's what i'm thinking yeah. and and because what you're saying is that stability is in a sense an illusion because our mm-hmm. our default state isn't stability Right. I'm more thinking, I, I think that's actually like quite a serious challenge to the idea that truth is the highest value. I would say that it needs to be replaced with um, happiness. But I'm curious what you'd say. Uh, replacing stability with happiness? Well, I guess if you have a hierarchy of values and you're uh, kind of okay. one person, and, and I think lots of people would put truth at the top, um, is, mm-hmm. is that right, especially when, when we've realized that truth in the sense of the stability that people are looking for is so elusive mm-hmm. um of course i i wouldn't be one to say that i'd know what i would perhaps value at the top yet in my life at all mm. um but talking about truth i think i mean the first thought that comes into my mind is okay you're craving truth but what is it of truth what is it that you value of truth that you're Mm. craving um is it that having something be true gives you certainty it kind of comes back to the topic of certainty and uncertainty um and i think truth is perhaps a bit dangerous because once we believe something to be true it it may mean or your mindset may be that this is unchallenged and what I've come to kind of accept so far in my life, and my thoughts are always changing, is that everything that we know is based on assumptions that we've made mm-hmm. due to the conditioning that we have and our own um, personal perceptions of life. So if that's the case, then absolutely nothing can actually be true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, unless true, of course, truth can, the definition, we may vary in the definition of truth, which also comes back to you know that what is what is true yeah. <laughs> the philosophy of, of, i think of we need all. to take a first year philosophy course together yeah <laughs> um actually so i um there's this pretty famous book by um an italian author i think it's luigi um luigi 
Pirandello, I believe, a very old book, um, where he basically talks about the fact that us as an entity, ourselves, there is no, you know, definite true version of ourselves because, or unless... Okay, so I won't even bring true into this equation. I'll say there's no, there isn't one version of ourselves. We see ourselves one way. Our mother may see ourselves a different way. A, a stranger walking down the street see, sees ourselves, uh, sees us in a different way. Um, so there isn't one us. There are so many Elis. There are so many Moyuks. You know, it really mm. plays with your perception of truth because you can believe that this is who you are. But in someone else's mind, you are somebody else. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I don't know what truth mm -hmm. is. So I don't know if I could value it. <laughs> okay. Um, so then I guess my next question needs to be something that actually I'm cheating because you asked me this and I'm going to throw it right back at you. The idea of as an artist and someone who's telling people's stories is what you're trying to do, propose a truth to people. Not at all. I don't think so. I, I think the reason why I loved, I love film and art so much is because I don't have to be right. Mm. Um, especially because I'm a type of person who lives in the gray of the world. Even if someone tells me something, uh, the first place my mind will go is, okay, but what if? You mm. know, the opposite side of that same story. Um, you know, I'm studying to be a lawyer and law in, in a sense also works with the gray areas um but what i find from art is that at the end of the day we don't have to choose that this is right over something else and i think um in that sense i think maybe i'm selfish with art because since it's such a struggle for me and and my lifelong explore, exploration has been to look at the multiple perspectives of perhaps the same feeling or the same story or different stories but the human condition I find that art allows me to do that as a profession um, and so there's a paradox there because as an actor what you're trying to do is be the most genuine person on screen right and in that sense you can say that I'm searching for a truth I'm searching for a true feeling of anger or a true feeling of sadness or happiness mm. um, so there is this weird definitive aspect to art which feels real um, and I crave that yet at the same time I know that at the end of the day when I share this piece of artwork with others every single person is going to perceive it in a different way and mm -hmm. that to me is so exciting um, and I, I since I'm in a place where I feel as though I'll never reach an answer to all the questions I'm having I would like to at least experience um, living through those questions, mm. which is what art is to me. Mm -hmm. And funny how that comes back to the idea of uncertainty, where the point isn't oh, the yeah. answer. Exactly. And exactly. so the other thing that... Sorry, did you have something to say? No, 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 go ahead. Okay. Um, the other thing that I, I think this leads back to is the idea that whether we're searching for truth, happiness, or stability, we seem to most... Or authenticity we seem to mostly find that in within kind of the realm of social connectedness um, because we our, our hunt for truth and our hunt for happiness and 
our propensity to be ourselves, I think is dependent on the people around us. With the pandemic, we don't have so many people around us, which leads to the loneliness you were describing. Mm-hmm. So two-parted thing here, I think, is first, what is the loneliness doing to us? And how have we, are we, or should we be combating that loneliness or overcoming it? See, loneliness is, I think, a state of mind. And um, we can feel lonely when we're not connected to others. We can feel lonely when we're not connected to ourselves. Um, and what, it's very dangerous because, once again, you know, one of the leading causes of or triggers of um, worse mental states to be in. During this pandemic, I think the loneliness that people who are suffering from mental health or whatever is something that everybody's feeling. Everybody's feeling lonely because for once we don't have people around us. Um, Many of us are probably quarantining alone. And that for me, you know, I have my family around me, maybe not as many people as uh, I used to have, but I think that has been the greatest source of strength for me. because you're reminded that you're not alone. And this, is, um, this actually comes from Matt Haig, who wrote a book called uh, Reasons to Stay Alive. And he talks about his experience with depression. And um, one of his quotes that resonate with me, especially during this time when I'm struggling with loneliness, is that we are alone, but, but not alone. Mm. Which is to say that every single one of us may be alone, you know, physically, perhaps mentally at certain times, but if we truly believe that, you know, if we embrace relationality, that we're all connected in, in certain ways through energy and matter, or even if we just accept that, um, or also if we accept that there are people like us around, there, uh, around the world, even if they might not exactly understand what we're going through, um, we're reminded that we're not alone because we're not the only person experiencing this pain or suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think through the pandemic and with loneliness, the challenge has been to ra- remind myself that what is, al- <laughs> what is alone? What mm-hmm. is loneliness? Why do I fall into um, that sort of mindset that I am alone when I'm connected to not just the people around me, but the animals around me, um, the nature around me? Uh, yeah, so mm-hmm. I think that's how that's. That has been my personal journey with combating loneliness. And it seems like there's a few ways that... I, I don't know the ways that you found it, but it seems like the people I've talked to and observed have found many ways of finding groups despite the distance. Like I think mm-hmm. we mentioned last time, one of, the, one of the many great things about the activism that's happening now, especially you see yeah. it with Black Lives Matter, is that in addition to just the pure kind of rightness of 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 that the drive to um that that movement is built on i think it also mm-hmm. provides people a space where they can they can feel that kind of collective support that you're talking about you might Absolutely. find something similar with religion or just with talking with to friends it looks like people are doing an okay job yeah. finding those outlets yeah i think i think we are inherently social creatures you know even if we might find ourselves to be introverted Um, or enjoying our own company, that's fine as well. And that's a part of being human. But I think all of us crave for um, social connections. And that's just who humans are. 
right? Um, so with everything that's going on in the world, I would say absolutely. People are finding ways to connect through religion, through um, social movements, and perhaps that's why they gained uh, the social movements. That's why they gained momentum because mm. people rem are reminded that we need to stick together or are craving to feel, um, uh, you know, connections with other mm -hmm. people. Um, but I guess, uh, I guess what's coming to mind right now is that before we can connect with others, um, definitely thinking about how we can be enough for ourselves, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. which is to say that, you know, we can serve others from an empty cup right we need we need our glass to be full to be able to help other people and because there are probably many people struggling with loneliness uh with hopelessness i think to tuning into ourselves um is the answer to find finding better connections with people around us and maybe that's not a linear line maybe that's not okay i need to focus on myself and then i'll focus on others but people are finding that focusing on others is helping them focus on themselves mm -hmm. so uh yeah, I think uh, with with the social movement, that's that's exactly it. We're feeding the needs that we need by also, you know, connecting with others because mm -hmm. they're linked. Yeah, and yeah. and it's funny you bring up connecting with yourself first because I think that that's been a little bit neglected um, for mm -hmm. two reasons. First, because I think people, the default with loneliness is to look outwards. And that means that you're, I think you're kind of, it's almost like you're skirting around the problem because you're looking for, you know, text someone, call someone, hang out with someone, that'll fix what's wrong with me. Which I think is, mm -hmm. is maybe not, is one of the ways, but not the only way to approach it. And I think the, the other thing is, there's, there, although I think it's definitely possible for us to find catharsis in what other people are saying, what other people are doing, I think... And, and this is a very artsy thing. To, this is something that, of course, an artist is saying. But it's mm -hmm. like, I, I've found that the best way for me, and I'm sure you maybe find this in some way, is is to tell stories. And so whether that's to write about what you're going through or to, um, to talk about it with someone mm -hmm. seems equally important, but maybe a bit more neglected because it's not as obvious as talking to other people. Right. Um, but also when I say, you know, bringing up being enough for ourselves even when you're telling stories, um, you're doing that to for someone else. perhaps for somebody yeah. else. Yeah, yeah. Um, even if you don't share it, getting something out there, writing something down, saying something out loud, even if it's to yourself, means that you're reminding yourself that what I'm feeling on the inside doesn't have to stay within. It can go mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I think there's no one way to, to mm -hmm. do it. Um, it seems like the paradox there is that if you're you're trying to do this for yourself, mm -hmm. but you're doing that through the avenue of something that you're going to push out into the world, then it seems like it's it's an inherent kind of contradiction, and and it's actually something I've been feeling with this podcast, and something I've brought up a few times is the the premise is so flawed. This idea of cultivating empathy and and looking inwards and 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 looking outwards. But at the end of the day, it's not about broadcasting to other people or putting on a show. It needs to be about really coming to terms with your emotions and what you're yeah. going through. 
to me, it's difficult because even what we're doing now, the purpose is for it to be shown to other people. The purpose right. isn't to actually change ourselves, it, and, which is why it feels performative to me. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, once again, perhaps the way we look at it. Um, but, you know, we all know the book The Alchemist. And mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing that I got out of there was that um, we all have some sort of energy that we should follow. Um, whether we believe in religion or not, um, whether we have faith in a certain thing, whether it not even be religion, um, perhaps we all have some sort of energy that is forcing us to take a certain path in life. Um, now, why I bring that up is um, because... Sorry, what was what was the last thing you said? I'm trying to connect them. I swear the, there's a connection. <laughs> um, the, the paradox between saying that you want to that you want to look inwards while right. you're performing for other people. Right, right. So um, if we do follow this kind of energy that is telling us to do this, I'm sure nobody forced you to do the podcast, right? Um, no, actually, you... Abena Tharv said that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I wasn't forced. Okay, well, let's say even if you were forced, um, since you've continued it, it's something that you hold true or hold dear to yourself. Yeah. Um, I can say definitely that, you know, through the conversations we've had, I feel as though you've probably enjoyed the conversations, you know? So, <laughs> stop, you're giving the wrong, <laughs> the wrong answers. <laughs> Just agree with me here. Yeah, yeah, so. I'm with you. So when we're doing something, you know, it's very cliched, but when we're doing something that makes us happy and feeds the energy within us, that's, you know, inclining us to follow a certain path, then we can't disconnect it from that, what we're doing, um, being separate from helping others or connecting with others. Whatever mm-hmm. your job may be, whatever your career may be, what, whatever your hobby may be, um, if you're doing it with with soul and energy from my understanding i feel as though you're only ever going to have that leave a good positive um you know um kind of uh residue <laughs> i can't find like a better a, word like a marker or something yeah yeah like leave a bad bad influence on other people i, I don't think that unless you're you know um you know, committing a crime. Don't do that. Um, there's probably something else there, but I do believe people are inherently good. And, you know, when you do something you're, you enjoy, you want to tell other people about it. Or when you're sharing your stories as you do, Eli, as a writer, as a director, um, it's not just that you're creating something for other people. You're also feeding this, this energy within you that is exciting you to tell this story or to create a story. And I think, I can't define it, but I think there are underlying reasons there that is connected, um, or underlying reasons for you to feel that way, which is connected to everything around you and to the people around you. And that once again comes back to Joanna Zelinska's idea of embracing relationality. Mm. I honestly do believe that everything's connected, um, whether that be in a religious way, scientific way, no way that I can define at all, but I do fully believe that everything's connected. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I, 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 I don't see how, I don't believe as of yet in the divisions um, mm-hmm. between doing something for yourself and doing yeah. something for others. Yeah. 
You're slightly more optimistic than me. This is good. This is good. I, need I am. I am truly an optimistic person. Definitely. <laughs> I've been more pessimistic over the years. And I've told my mom that I'm like, mom, I think I'm just becoming a very pessimistic person. But I think my pessimism is actually feeding my optimism even more. Yeah. I question things and I always find good answers to them. Yeah. 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 That's perfect. I, which, I'm s- mm-hmm. actually, Keep going. which actually reminds me of um, something that you said that I feel like you should bring up, um, which <laughs> was about facts and values mm. and how something, an, an experience or a fact, mm. uh, how that leads to becoming something that we value. Yeah, yeah. So my, I've been thinking a lot about this. It's actually something I'd heard in a debate. I was watching a debate. Um, it was a debate about religion. And mm-hmm. one of the idea, it was with, um, w- one of the debaters was a moral philosopher who suggested mm-hmm. this idea, actually both of them kind of went back on this idea about how do you get from a fact to a value? And the idea is that facts don't intrinsically have value. And, and the example I gave to you was if a million people die, it doesn't seem to be inherently bad. It's, it's we, we interpret that fact and we arrive at the conclusion that it's, it's bad. Mm-hmm. And so if you break it into that process that you have a fact and you need an interpretive structure to arrive at a value and and though that's kind of the the premise of of moral philosophy um you have this idea that that interpretation is is where we step in to to taking something objective and making it subjective and the parallel that i make uh with art is that essentially if if or i mean with truth actually which is what we've been talking about is you have truth the the framework that the way that get lets you get from truth which i don't think has much inherent importance to something that actually motivates us and drives us and gives us something to care about is um is perspective and interpretation and and that's where that's where like you say that's where it becomes not so important that you have a sense of any concrete truth, but rather that you suggest something interesting and that the point is the interpretation that leads to, to uh, some kind of um, judgment. Um, mm-hmm. This is super conceptual, but essentially what I'm saying is that with what we're trying to do with I'm Still Here, it, you're right, it isn't, it isn't providing, it isn't trying to enforce a truth on anyone about what mental about mental health or about what vicarious trauma is like or about the best way to deal with your pain it's i think it's more so suggesting an idea and then giving other people the power to interpret that and Mm -hmm. and to make something of it in their own life which i think is the only way that art becomes effective and to add another layer to it to come out of the realm of just arts or actually i'm still talking about the arts but um, once again, adding We're an always talking about the arts. We're always... Everything's art, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Our lives are art. Um, but talking about the interpretive framework, it's, always, it's, it's dependent on what the person's trying to get out of it. Like if mm-hmm. someone's watching our film and truly believes that this is an experience of many experiences, um, perhaps they're going to find some sort of value in it compared to someone who watches a film and thinks, oh, it's just a film. There's no truth to it. There's mm-hmm. no truth to it. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that's something I also struggle with art um, or accepting my love of art, which is that I sometimes feel as though I want to dedicate my life to the arts. Mm. However, I also want to do something real, something tangible. 
And if I go, you know, I'm never, I'm not going to be able to feed people by being an artist. Mm. I'm not going to be able to be, you know, help people in healthcare as an artist. So, you know, it's not a, it's not a necessary job, but perhaps, you know, I'm wrong there. Maybe I'm flawed. You know, your, your conversation with um, Professor Moritz mm. was that, you know, art has become something that keeps us in a, in a, during this pandemic has been giving us hope uh, poetry films music so perhaps perhaps well, is, art is necessary is that part of the reason because i assume you have something that i experienced which was when i was when people kept asking me the question what are you going to do which is like the kind of like pinnacle of the high school question you get when you're going to university I would oh, keep it stays saying with you forever. <laughs> I'm still asking myself that question. <laughs> My answer was always lawyer because that gets people to shut up. <laughs> but but then eventually I don't even know what the turning point is. I finally started saying I think I want to be a filmmaker and that gets far more raised eyebrows and far more people who like as quickly as possible leave the conversation. But yeah. I think there was some bit of me that was like I, I have to accept that. Um, and it seems like a particularly relevant question to you because you're doing law and theater. Oh, and so God, yeah. I, I feel like like the maybe it's actually a good thing because you're like you say, you're faced with that conflict on a daily basis because you've chosen two seemingly opposed ideas about this this law that seems to have or at least has the societal respect of clearly you're helping the world money of course yeah and then you have art which like you say even artists doubt its importance yeah how how has that struggle been for you i mean because i know that there's it's at every level it's at you know do your parents support that decision what do your peers think what do you think How's that been? Well, I think I think you've gotten further than I have, which is that you've told people out loud, I want to be a filmmaker. <laughs> no one knows what I want to truly do, except for, I hey, don't even know. So what am they I do talk now. <laughs> they do now. I know. I'm like, do I tell my mom to watch this podcast or do I not? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but it's, it's funny because if we want to do something, if we really want to do something, we'll only need one reason to do it. But if we don't want to do something, we'll find, you know, an infinite number of reasons not to. Yeah. And my experience so far, of course, I mean, I don't just want to go into law because of stability. Once again, the reason I went down that path was because I genuinely enjoyed the work that is required for it. I think I am half academic half artist and i've always kind of teetered between um that balance i enjoy studying i enjoy researching and i enjoy the things that are required of a lawyer um which i've you know i'm not just saying it's come from actually being in that you know in that field working in firms but at the same time what i always come back to is that okay moyuk if that's really what you want to do then why are you constantly looking for reasons not to do it and when you go down the path of, you know, when you're questioning whether you want to be an artist, why is it that you're always finding reasons to justify the negatives of being that, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's where I am right now. And unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know what's going to happen after this pandemic. I'm going into my fourth year, so I'm supposed to be making some concrete decisions. Perhaps this pandemic has given me some time to think about that. Um, I don't know. But also it has kind of, uprooted everything I thought was going to lead me down a path of success and happiness. 
so it's this pandemic has been for me a constant um, journey truly in the sense of the word of discovering things unlearning things thinking about things and then thinking I'm right and then realizing I'm wrong uh, and you know maybe the pandemic has allowed me to do all of that sooner than later mm-hmm. and that's where i am yeah well i think a, a willingness to admit you're wrong is something that very very few people have and it's super important too and and yeah. what i what i admire about you because like like you say i think you admire all... me <laughs> i do i totally oh, do wow. and and one of heard, actually heard for for the first time on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> um but but and and there's a very because sp- I think saying saying you admire someone seems quite empty, but but there's actually a specific reason. Have I told you my we're gonna this podcast is gonna go so long by the way. Um, no one's gonna watch it. <laughs> yeah, no one will <laughs> get to this way point. Way too long. <laughs> yeah, from right, now, now we on we can everything. talk about anything. <laughs> okay, cool, cool, cool. Great. Um, I was gonna say so so I've been thinking a lot about this because I I think have I told you my theory on ambition and um, goals and drive. I think we touched upon it, but okay, not... I'll, I'll repeat it yeah. anyways. So, and this yeah. is this is the specific reason that I have a lot of admiration for you. Lots of people have ambition. Most people, if not all people, have ambition. Especially people at U of T. You, you've made it to U of T. You probably want to go into some program, even if you don't know your program. You have some aspiration. Whether it's I want to win an Oscar, I want to become a successful scientist, I want to be make money. I think I want to be happy. Yeah, like those big overarching um, dreams. I think the second level is goals, which is people who actually start thinking about how they're going to achieve that. What courses are you going to take? Who are you going to try and meet? Are you going to try and make a film, not just say one day I'll make it into Hollywood? You know, those kind of more concrete steps. Someday isn't the day of the week. Yeah. Yeah. The the whole like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow comes and it's still today. You know, that kind of thing. Um, and then I think the third level that's extraordinarily rare is actual drive. And I mean, like it's, it's baffling to me how rare it is to find someone who actually, who has an ambition, who's thought about how they're going to get there and who's actually getting there, you know, who's taking steps, like putting one foot in front of the other. Cause I think most people stop because and it's like it's actually it's funny like it's been an ongoing joke in this conversation but i think part of the reason is it's just like i'm young like 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 approaching actually trying to grab hold of those goals that's for the future and it it makes me want to tear my head out because i'm thinking it's like if you if you actually want to get somewhere and and i'm I would agree that living in the moment is important. I don't think you sacrifice that. I think that the, the drive to get to achieve your long-term ambitions mm-hmm. is how you live in the moment. And, and, yeah. and so to come full circle, the reason that I admire you is because you have ambitions that you've talked about. You know, like this idea, even if they're not concrete, even if you haven't made up your mind, but like the idea of, do I want to become a lawyer? Do I want to tell stories? Do I want to be heard? Do I want to make something of myself? You've you're at U of T studying those things. You're at U of T taking a chance on a first year who puts out a random casting call, going in and actually taking it seriously. And, and, and you're doing it. Like, you're actually, it's happening. And, and I, like, so few people have that drive to actually make these things happen. 
if anything, that's what I've been learning from you. So I really appreciate it. Well, I don't know what you're learning from me because from my <laughs> perspective, that is exactly what I see in you, which gets, <laughs> I, you know, I'm going to cut this part out. And my, no, 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 no. You got to keep it. No, no, no. I mean, there, you have not done a small amount of things in your lifetime. You wrote two books that oh, I'm definitely you cutting this part books. out. People search up, what was it? Black Amber and Black... Oh, God. Something else, but they're very good. You got to read them. Okay. After that, you know, taking these, you've taken so many already, you know, you're going into your second year. I wasn't at, you know, even that mindset that, you know, I can do this as you are. I think there's also all of that, but also a level of confidence that you have, uh, which has, but at the same time, a humility, which allows you to stay ground, grounded, um, that I admire in you. And I think, uh, meeting you and and meeting the cast and being a part of this project has only upped my ambition my drive and my goals to you know take the next step um i'm gr i'm so glad that you see that in me because i i always feel like i'm falling short uh, but perhaps that's a universal feeling perhaps everybody feels as though they're not mm -hmm. doing as much as they can be um but yeah well, well wow. i i do appreciate I this that. um j just one second Okay, um, so my next question is, I think we're, I, have to, I have to make sure I have a, a point where I can cut out everything yeah. you've just said. No, 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 you're keeping it. <laughs> um, you're also I would... keeping this part. Don't be fake. <laughs> I, I would say um, that the, the <laughs> bit really where, ju just to go back, the, the bit where I actually think that I, I saw the most of who you actually are wasn't actually, it wasn't however authentic you were at the audition. And it wasn't even in a conversation like this. It was on um, YouTube. If you look up Moi Yuxid, you'll find you are the some incredible person. singing oh videos. God. And, and oh, I, 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 will, I will consider interview. cutting this part out if Watch you that. give us a little bit of a live. Oh my God, you are horrible. <laughs> We're off the rails. No one's going to watch. No one's going to listen by now. People will have exited already. Why are you doing this to me? I'll, I'll lay it down a beat if you want. I mean, if, if you rap, I'll sing. <laughs> what did you think I was going to do? Start singing on top of a beat? Yeah, I figured you were going to hit a high C <laughs> or something. <laughs> well, and that concludes our and podcast this is the end. I feel like it would be very hypocritical of me to do an outro to suddenly start addressing the audience and say thank you for watching. <laughs> thank you well, for is, being here. You do it for me. Eli, thank you. thank you for being here, Eli, on this great day of us recording the chaos that's within our minds and then putting it out for people to feel chaotic about. <laughs> <laughs> just to lap up this is cool. this is so off the rails abena tharv you're gonna be like what the hell happened? oh my god <laughs> i hope they do i hope they do thank you so much for doing this thank i'm, I'm really glad we did this and and like i say um you there was I, I told you this before we started recording you were at the top of my list to do this interview because i think ah. i think if there's anything we are trying to do with this podcast and and i know that kindling empathy is is seems almost cliche in itself because it's like it's so grandiose but that is what we're trying to do and i think the fact that we've gotten someone like you who who isn't who isn't yet a hollywood star but who's going to get there is maybe 
is and and who isn't yet a lawyer but is going to get there as well is <laughs> I'm probably do both, eh? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Absolutely. nice to see what this stage of your career we can empathize with I'm you now I'm going to be an actor at the UN <laughs> <laughs> yeah. thank you so much for being here Mary. thank you so much Eli thank you for having me a part of this conversation with you know so many other talented and amazing people i'm just i'm just happy to be here Oh god, the last thing people see is me going like this. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to freeze frame it. Oh no. Do not.